friends. Welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. Hey, it's Thanksgiving week, and I just want to say thank you to everybody that listened to the first episode of the podcast last week. Your support and encouragement have really meant a lot, and I appreciate you coming back for episode two. The music that you're hearing is from my friend Ryan Allwart. He just released a Christmas album on November 8th called Indiana Christmas, and he was the guest on the first episode of the podcast last week, so make sure you check that episode out if you haven't already. This week, my guest is Phil Heller, who serves as the lead pastor at Crossroads Christian Church in Evansville, Indiana, which is also my home church. We had a great conversation about faith and the modern day church, and he also took over as pastor at a church that went through a pretty nasty split about a year before he took over. So we talked about that and kind of the sensitivity that goes along with it and what his vision is for the church. So thanks for listening and enjoy the conversation with Phil. All right, Phil. So you've been here about four months now. I guess what's been your biggest takeaway of being back at Crossroads, where you did you start? You started your ministry here, I guess, uh, a little over twenty years ago, or about about that time. Yeah. So I was uh, right out of college. I'd had a weekend ministry while I was a student at Kentucky Christian, and then moved here after well, right before graduation in uh, nineteen ninety six. So yeah, being back has been really surreal. Cole, I mean, just like so many things uh, have changed, and then there's still some things that are really uh, the same, and. Um, yeah, it's just been really, really fascinating from my perspective to see how fast time flies. Like uh, just recently, there was a, a I looked over in our baptistry, there was somebody baptizing their daughter, and so I kind of made my way over that way. And here's this student I knew last week; he was a sophomore, junior in high school, and now has a ten-year-old daughter baptizing her. So <laughs> I mean, just how how fast time flies in that regard. And uh, also just to kind of see and be part of what God's up to now at Crossroads. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. And, you know, when you left when you left here, I, I don't know that you knew or thought you would come back to this church necessarily. I mean, how did you know when, when this when this job came open, how did you know this was the right job for you? That's a great question. So, no, I never anticipated returning, not because I dreaded my time here or um, or had bad experiences. We stayed in contact with lots of friends and even visited crossroads over the years. And um, so it really did come out of the blue. Um, Some people from crossroads uh, that I'm friends with, we had had conversations about what the next lead pastor might be like and and how to go about that process. I was an executive pastor at the church I was currently serving at. So I'd hired lots of people and several of those uh, search team members had reached out to me asking about, you know, how should we go about this? And uh, actually asked me, do I know anybody? So I had reached out personally on behalf of Crossroads to friends of mine saying, man, you've always wanted to be a senior pastor. You should check out Crossroads. It's an awesome church. And, uh, you know, try to get them connected. One yeah. of those guys even interviewed for the job, uh, had an introductory interview. And so then, uh, you know, uh, Ross Chapman, who was serving on the search team, called one day and said, uh, hey, can I ask you a question? Um, I think, you know, uh, we feel like you would do a great job as the lead pastor at Crossroads, would you consider this? And, you know, that really wasn't a question I was ready to answer in that moment. Um, so my wife and I, obviously, uh, obviously, when we began conversing about it, praying about it, um, you know, some, there were some simple parts of the answer. The first was, I was probably 14 years old when I said yes to serving God in vocational ministry. Right. And I never really had an idea of what that would be. Or like some like ultimatum, like, God, I want to be a senior pastor when I grow up, or I just want to serve God. And so, you know, we kept coming back to, we made a commitment to serve God wherever He leads us. And if He wanted us to stay where we are currently serving, we were okay with that. 
if he was doing something different and was leading us to consider serving here, then we were okay with that too. And just try to live open-palmed in that regard. Just, God, you're in charge of this. We trust you and make it clear to us. Yeah. And that's, to me, seems like it's a, it's such an awesome story of faith because you weren't even, sounds like you weren't even seeking out no. this job. I mean, you no, no. probably had, you were in Noblesville, correct? Yep. I mean, sure. enjoying your job there. Yeah. I mean, how, how much conversation did you guys have to have before you, you and your wife, before you realized that is a job or that's an opportunity we need to pursue? Sure. You know, the conversation revolved around more like, first of all, like, God, if that's what you're leading us to do, we say yes. Probably most of it was just logistical. Like, is this right for our family? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have a child with special needs. So that's always been a dynamic that we've had to consider. We didn't sign up for that, but God chose to uh, give us uh, our son. And so, but we have to filter process uh, decisions through kind of what are his needs and what would be best for him. Plus our other two girls. I mean, we had a daughter who was finishing college, so... We considered what her needs were. We had a daughter who was finishing her freshman year in high school. So, you know, those are some of the logistics. Like, is is this right for our family? Um, and also, I, I wanted to be honest with who I am. So when we came here for an interview, I, I just tried to express who I am. This is how God's wired me. This is what I know about myself. And also to just uh, offer that. And, like, if that's what Crossroads needs or what's the, what they want— then I, I trust God to work out the details. But I'm also really secure in the fact that if it's not, I'm all right with that too. Yeah. Uh, I told the elders in our interview that night, you know, this is how God's wired me. This is the gifts I feel like he's given me. This is how I approach ministry. If that seems to fit for what you guys are looking for, great. If not, I'm driving back to Noblesville to a job I love, to a group of people I love, and to a place I've done life for 13 years and I'm excited to keep serving there, you know. They so. always say, like, I guess the jobs that, sometimes the jobs that work out the most are the ones you're not even seeking out for. Yeah. And this yeah. one, I mean, I find that, I didn't I didn't know that, where sure. you were actually calling people and yeah. saying, hey, yeah. you need to check out this job. And yeah. then it ends up where they're saying, hey, actually, we want you to check out this job. Yeah. Um, I can only imagine just kind of the surprise that your family was going through. And, um, you know, four months in, I guess, what's been uh, one of the things that you've been happiest about mm-hmm. in terms of, maybe the potential growth of this church or just the direction that it's been in, or, you know, I guess what, when you look back on your first four months, what, what kind of are your biggest takeaways in terms of positives that you can see? I think one, we're, we're really post for what God wants to do next. I told the congregation, I told the elders, I told the church team, I'm not coming back to Crossroads because of our past. Um, I had very tremendous experiences here. Like I said, I've stayed in touch with this congregation since I left, but that wasn't what drew me back. It's really what God wants to do in our future. And so some of the uh, exciting things for me to see about that is, first of all, our team. Uh, it's, it's awesome to be able to lock arms with people who are hungry to be part of what God's doing, mm-hmm. who are uh, ready to, to take on what God's next challenge is, and to lock arms with them. I mean, I, I never want to be the smartest person in the room. So like when I come into a, a lead team meeting or I come into a, a creative arts team meeting, and I sit with our elders. I mean, I, I I cherish the fact that I'm not alone in this, that I can contribute ways that God's gifted me to do that or or I can be part of it. And, but also, it's not all dependent on me. First of all, it's all dependent on God, right? This right. is His church. It's His mission. He's invited us into that. And uh, so it's exciting for me to lock arms with a group of people who are hungry to, to be part of what God's up to. Um, I feel blessed to get to lead with a group of people who really have great hearts and um, who have gifts to give, 
and 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 they're excited about doing that. And so uh, that's been certainly a, a really uh, exciting thing. Also, since of what God's really up to something in this city. So when I look around at not just what God's doing at Crossroads, but what God's doing in, in His church citywide, man, to be able to be part of that is really exciting. Uh, one of the things I've enjoyed, so a couple of things I've done since being here. First of all, I've met with every person on our team for 30 minutes, so 66 employees. I sat down eyeball to eyeball with each of them just to get to know them. And to, I asked them to ask her a question, what do you dream about? And it was so fun to hear That's awesome. what they uh, are dreaming about. And, you know, these are people, cool. some of them, like, some of them I had hired, some of them I had served as their youth pastor, and some of them were random strangers I'd never met before, you know, until that moment. The other thing I've done, I've probably met with uh, 15 area pastors so far in four months. Uh, some of them I knew from my previous time here. Other, others are, you know, brand new uh, friends. And uh, it's really given me a perspective of what God's up to in this city and also how we can be part of that. And to really remind myself that this is God's church. It's not about Crossroads. It's about uh, the capital C church is how I might say it. And I think that that's unique. That's not something I experienced when I was here before like like I am already. So. And I feel like the answer to this next question is going to be a lot of what you just talked about. But obviously, you came in and took over this role after a very sensitive year here mm-hmm. at Crossroads. I, mean, sure. I feel very fortunate that I was able to grow up in this church from uh, elementary, middle school, high school, even some college. You know, I, I lived, I went to college out of town, mm-hmm. but I would come back here for this. This has always been my home church. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when um, we had a change in pastor last year, we'll put it that way. Um, it, it caused kind of a, a split between a lot of members that left to go to other churches. And that could be a very sensitive thing. And I, and I remember I told uh, Ross Chapman, Ross Langston, a lot of the other people that were, that handled that in the next, in the next year, I mean, they didn't, this church didn't miss a beat really, you know, we, they, as they were taking time to look for a new pastor, they had all kinds of different people on staff that were stepping up and willing to preach. And, I didn't think that the church missed a beat. And I could really tell, and I talked to Ross Chapman about this several times, I could really tell that the church was being very deliberate and very uh, like open-minded about who God wanted to bring in this role. Mm-hmm. And you know, when they announced uh, that, that you were going to be the next pastor, it just seemed like God really was in this whole process. And for you coming, up, you know, coming to this church and taking over, um, knowing what had happened about a year, year before, I mean, um, how was that difficult at all to take over? I don't want to say take over a church, but to, to become the pastor at a church, um, you know, knowing kind of the the tension that had arised about a year before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess did that play into your decision at all, and how did you handle that from the get go? Sure. Well, there are certainly lots of people who advise me like, don't touch that with a ten foot pole, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, it's never hard to, or it's never easy to follow someone, and but we all do, right? right. So. I could die today. I could live here the next 20 years. And at some point, my time's going to come up and it'll be somebody else's turn. Um, and so I, I kind of keep that in mind. I, one of the things that it reminded me, just watching uh, kind of Crossroads from afar, is like none of us should take ourselves too seriously, right? I mean, this is God's church. And really what what I hope to contribute is that we, we're allowed to watch Him work and we all play a part in it, but we can all remind ourselves this is his church. Um, I think my history with Crossroads, from my perspective, is helpful to me. Had I not had that history, I might not have touched it with a 10-foot pole. But 
Um, the elders see you. Yeah, yes. right. It's personal. I want this church to to flourish. I I knew uh, a lot of the key leaders, and so I had history with them. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, last August wasn't the first bump in the road for this church, and this church has persevered through some really dark times in the past. I I sat through some of those dark times, so that history helped remind me that God's been in control. He's worked through this church, through the good, bad, and ugly. And um, what I hope to, to do is hopefully not be part of an ugly, but uh, and hopefully not even bad, but but any good thing that happens, I, I will give glory to God. And um, I think one of the things I appreciated about the process is you mentioned the word being deliberate. I felt that deliberateness from the receiving end of that. I felt like they were doing a thorough job to make sure they clearly knew what they were looking for mm-hmm. and also who would best match what, what God was leading them to. Mm-hmm. And also they were authentic and vulnerable um, and honest about who they are, what had happened, and those type of things. And so every time I asked those sensitive questions, I felt like I was getting honest and forthright responses. And so some of that I knew. Uh, I knew the answers before I asked in some ways. And also when I did get responses to those, I felt felt like they were very transparent. And that took the guessing game out of it. Also, I think it's obvious to, uh, to recognize that it was a year later. So had I shown up in October of 2018, that, that might have felt a little bit different. But coming in June of 19. There, there had been lots of space, some healing had taken place, and some very deliberate decisions on the leadership of the church's part to move forward mm-hmm. and not just kind of sulk in what had happened. Right. You know, I, I commend my parents for this a lot, and I've had plenty of conversations with them about this, and I ended up writing something on my website mm-hmm. shortly after this happened. But, um, you know, not to get into too many of the gritty details, but, you know, the, the, the they had a service uh, where the elders explained from their end what happened with uh, the whole shakeup in terms of pastors. And during that service, I was actually just telling somebody this story earlier today. Um, the worship team got into singing In Christ Alone, which to me is, my wife and I sang that at our wedding, not as a duo, just as the, the congregation, everybody sang that as a worship song. Sure. But that song means a lot to us. It means a lot to a lot of people just because of the direction of the lyrics of that song, telling you it's in Christ alone who we put our trust in. And I will always remember during that service, this was after the elders had explained what happened, the worship team came out and was singing this song. And behind me, several people had stood up and were shouting in anger toward the elders, toward the church about their allegiance to the pastors that were leaving. And they were walking out. As we're singing in Christ alone, people are literally walking out in anger. And that juxtaposition will always stick with me. And I'm thinking, do these people not hear the words of the songs that we're singing? And I will always commend my parents for this because they have been here through a number of different pastors. And they say, we go to a church to serve God. We're not worshiping other people. And I wrote, that's what ultimately was the title of my, if you go to my website, you'll see it on there. It says, worship God, not people. And it's because, you know, that what happened with that was a split where people said, forget crossroads, I'm following these people wherever they want to go. And to me, it's like, that's not the whole purpose of that, you know? And so when you, I guess, what advice, you know, if there's anybody listening to this and maybe their church is going through a split where, um, you know, their pastors 
don't see eye to eye with the elders or the church leadership and they leave or something happens where there's a split in the church, mm-hmm. what advice do you would you have for churchgoers um, in terms of you know how to handle that as a mm-hmm. as a congregation? Obviously, everybody's got to make their own decisions. If they don't feel comfortable with that church anymore, they have to make that decision. But mm-hmm. in terms of keeping your focus in the right place, what advice would you have mm-hmm. for people that might be faced with a similar situation? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, we're all... It's a tendency for all of us to hold on to the wrong things, whether that's a person. A lot of times in church, it's a program. It could be a style. It could be a, a personality. And I think that's dangerous for any of us. And for what you just said earlier, our, our hope has to be in Christ. And Christ can manifest itself in people and programs and, and style and all that stuff. But if we hold tightly to those those vehicles instead of what the really source of those are, then we're, we're always going to be on on shaky uh, sand, you know, shaky uh, foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And so regardless of what church you go to, regardless of where you live in the country, regardless of what may have happened, uh, where do we find our hope, our trust, and our peace? That's in Christ and no other person, right? I think second of all, is it, I look at church as family, the body of Christ, the family of God, and um, family doesn't you know, quit on each other, right? right? I, unfortunately, have never been able to choose a church based on anything other than vocation. Okay, so right. I've been a pastor since I was 18 years old. <laughs> Every church I've ever attended as a, as a member has been attached to my vocation as being the pa- a pastor. There. Right. So I've never had to choose a church as without that. But I also um, know that... that how I go about that is really important. I, I approach it the same way. These are people that I want to lock arms with, do life with, and we go through thick and thin together. And uh, that doesn't mean, me as the pastor, I like every decision that we make. It doesn't mean that I uh, have all my preferences and, and all my um, likes you know, uh, fulfilled. But like uh, my wife feels the same way about me. Like she wishes that I, I didn't snore as much, right? <laughs> she she wishes I would help out with the kids more. She would, I mean, there are things that, she can be dissatisfied about me, but we made a commitment to each other that we were going to be faithful to each other. Such till a death. great analogy. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's why Paul says, hey, you know, the love that God has for his people is like a husband has for his, his wife. Um, we, we, we try to remain faithful to each other in covenant, and that's serious. Um, I, I went to a retreat with other pastors here recently, and we were talking about our state of being united with Christ. That's not a choice we make. It's something we receive, but it's God choosing to unite with us. And we don't, it's not like we, um, we kind of weaken or strengthen that. It's, it's like a 100% given to us when we accept Christ as Savior. We're united with God, and that's not, we can certainly walk away from it ourselves, but there's nothing we can do to weaken that relationship right. or, or to tear ourselves away from that. And so that's the mentality I think we should have when we think about being united with his church or, or with the body of Christ. It should be that kind of solidarity that comes. I love that. That's kind great. of through good, bad, and ugly. Um, that's what I want to offer to people, and that's what I want uh, to that's what I want to expect from people. And um, it sounds idealistic, I think. Um but I also find it to be biblical, so I'm okay to land. Well, there. that's good. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I mean, I think that's that's the same kind of mindset that my parents have always said too. You know, I mean, they they have very much used the idea of it's a family. They've been leaders of a small group. They've been part of small groups, and they believe like it doesn't matter who is the pastor or who. 
the leadership is, they believe that their family is here. And I'm thankful that I was raised in a family like that because mm-hmm. it's, yeah, family doesn't quit on each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have differences. We're going to have mm-hmm. arguments, disagreements, all that. But for him, my, my dad and my stepmom, they've always said, that's our family and that's our church home. Yeah. And we believe yeah. in the people that are there. And I think it's awesome to think back when I started going mm-hmm. here. And I mean, when I, when I started going here was right around the time that you were, you were leaving here mm-hmm. as a youth director of youth. Sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people that were here then are still here. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think about guys like Denny Stevenson yeah. and mm-hmm. other guys like that that, are, that have been around for so long that um, I think it helps the stability of the church. And it's just really cool to see how, like, people are so dedicated to that mm-hmm. mindset. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. just very refreshing. Yeah. So, um, you know, as a churchgoer, it's awesome. I, mean, I know that I'm not living here in Evansville anymore, but that's still, I still consider this my home church. And yeah. it's just, it, it's it's good to know that the direction of the church is, is going that way. Yeah. I say to people all the time who might move away, like, you're still part of the family. You right. know, like, this right. is, we're still connected through Christ. You might live in Bowling Green. We might be here in Evansville, but we're, we're still part of the same family. It's not a separate family. Right. It's not a different family. I feel that way about Epworth uh, United Methodist Church, right at the edge of this property. Like, we're part of the same family, right? right. I think about uh, the other churches represented in the, the city, uh, the tri-state, like we're all part of the same family. And right. so we, we belong to that. One of the things that I, I remembered, you know, when, whenever they announced that you were, that mm. you'd been hired. And I, rem- I, I don't know why I remember this. My dad did not remember this, but, um, the bow legs, you remember my bow legs. Well, no, I, I remember <laughs> they did a send off for you in the atrium, the old atrium. Okay. And they had a camera set up Okay. and they allowed people to record a message for you. And I remember my dad just being like, man, we're going to miss Phil's infectious smile. Oh, wow. And I, I just, all, what stood, what stood with me the whole time, whenever you were here was like, you were always very genuine about mm-hmm. caring toward people. And mm-hmm. I think like when Pat, so my friend Pat, who works here now, uh, he told me, he said, yeah, he, he's meeting with all of us for 30 minutes. And, and like you mentioned earlier, um, I, I think for people that work here, people that go to church here, like you're, genuine caring spirit toward them is very apparent Mm. and i think that that like as somebody that goes to church here just the fact that even on my birthday you sent me a text i didn't know you had my number (laughs) and i get a i get a text from you and saying hey congrats on the tennis season happy birthday and i and i told my wife i told my my dad i was like man that's really nice of him to text me that you know Mm. um i've never had a pastor at a church text me Mm. happy birthday uh maybe youth pastor you know back in high school but um i i just think like I think that's naturally your your personality, mm-hmm. but you know, in your role, um, it's too simple of a question to say how important is that. But mm-hmm. I mean, I I think it really is important for these people to know, like, man, my pastor really does care about me. I mean, what is what is your over? How does that play into, I guess, your overall um, approach to how you do your job? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a great question. Thanks for those kind words. That that, that means a lot to me. I, I told the elders when we were interviewing. I said, if you're looking for a great preacher. There's probably a lot greater preachers out there than me. And honestly, I want to communicate God's word competently. But I think uh, being a pastor is a lot more than having something nice to say on Sunday morning for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. In fact, in some ways, Cole, that's the easiest part of my job. It doesn't mean that it comes easy. Right. Just like if I look at the amount of things I do in a week's time, that 30-minute window is some of the um, – it might have the broadest um, you know, um, group of people listening – but it, but it uh, couldn't ring hollow if that's the only way they know me. And so 
you know, I, I believe that uh, being a pastor is really to know people, uh, serve people, love people, and, and and to teach people as well, to lead people as well. And so I don't think you can do that without having relationship. Um, I've said for all my ministry uh, time that like the, the currency of ministry is relationship. Yeah. Not using people in relationship to get what you want, but to do life with people. Um, you know, that that's that's what's so sweet about returning here is like we, we've had relationship with people since 96. And so for, what, 23 years, we've been able to do life together. We've lived away from some um, from from this community for a long time, but we've also uh, maintained and, and nurtured those friendships over the years. That's true with the congregation I served in Louisville. That's true with the congregation I just recently left in Noblesville. Uh, we just chose to do life together, and um, that is a deliberate decision I've made. Uh, I wouldn't chalk it up to a style. It's just how I choose to do life. It's how I feel called to do ministry. It doesn't make it right for me and wrong for someone else or vice versa. But I just feel like like if I don't know you, if I don't have relationship with you, at some point like it just all starts to break down, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that, that's just kind of the bent I have toward uh, toward my philosophy of ministry. Um, you know, can I proof text it out of scripture? Well, certainly I could say like Jesus spent a ton of time with people. Yeah. He, he had funny nicknames for him. I mean, we read into it a little more theological, but right. like Peter, you know, him calling Simon Peter was just like, I'm gonna call you Peter. I mean, hey, sons <laughs> of thunder. I mean, it was just this fun relationship right. that he had with people. Um, Every one of Paul's letters, he writes at the end, hey, tell so-and-so I said hello, and make sure you uh, to greet this person. It just seems like right. people were at the center of ministry. I mean, without people, there is no ministry, right? I mean, right. like, the, this this is about people. And so I've tried to keep that as my main motivation, honoring God, love people, and whatever that requires of me, I, I, I want to be willing to do, you know? So... Uh, you know, it's fun about birthdays. I mean, everybody has one. <laughs> so it makes it a really natural way to connect with a person. Right. And, um, you know, it's just a simple way to say, I thought of you today, and I just wanted to let you know you're, you, you you mean something to me, you know? And um, I know I re- when I received that on my end, it's like, that, that made me feel special. So right. just a simple, simple uh, something simple I can do to express that. This is a very broad question. Okay. Um, but what is your vision for, for this church? Mm-hmm. As you look maybe five, ten years down the road, what do you envision Crossroads Christian Church being as it relates to this community? And one of the topics I do want to talk about eventually is, you know, kind of how can the church embrace the community? And that's something Ross Chapman has done really well at trying to get, get going here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, wh- what is your vision for this church as a church itself, but also how it relates to the community yeah. of Evansville, Indiana. I'd say simply, like, my vision is for us to not do church, but be the church. And what I mean by that is, first of all, uh, collectively, to be part of what God's doing in this community, in this world, and to just uh, follow His Spirit as He leads us to do that. But maybe even more importantly, for every person who makes up uh, God's church to be living that way, so that they're on mission with God in where they work, where they live, where they play, that they sense that they are part of it, they are the church, that they have Christ's spirit in them, and Christ's spirit gives them, you know, gifts to use, he gives them opportunities to seize, 
And I, I want every person to feel the empowerment of that. Like w- we might gather here on the weekend to only celebrate what God is doing in our lives and through our lives the other six days of the week. That the focus of it's not a short little window between nine and noon on Sunday, but that his, his church, his kingdom is moving forward through all of us. And whether that means, you know, um, you as a tennis coach, that God's kingdom is moving forward as you have interaction with the, the, the boys on the team and their families. Uh, that means in the neighborhood I live, that people, they don't, they don't just think uh, I'm a nice guy because I'm a pastor, but they see something different in me. And I want them to know that that difference is not because I moved here out of state or I grew up in Kentucky, but it's because... <laughs> Christ is in my life, you know? So I run in the mornings. I run the same path typically every morning. I have about a three-mile course I run, and I run in my neighborhood. So I pray deliberately for my neighbors as I run by them. Some of them I know by name. Some of them I don't yet. But when I do, a a common prayer I keep coming back to is, God, let them see Jesus in me. When I wave at them, when I'm mowing my yard, when I'm playing with my kids in the backyard, when, when they see something going on in our house, they're curious to, like, what makes those people the way they are? Mm-hmm. And I want them to know it's it's Jesus living in my life. And so I don't want that just for me or just for my family. I want that for every person who, who who's who's God's child. Every person has ever been created, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's driving uh, some of the initial decisions that we're making to help people realize, like, just don't show up and spectate. That's not what Jesus died for. Mm-hmm. He he died for us to be part of His mission moving forward. He he saved us for that reason. Mm-hmm. He's given us the Holy Spirit for that reason. And so every one of us have a part to play, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Paul uses the body of Christ as a great analogy that every part is important. One of my friends in high school, his mom cut off her big toe in a lawn mowing accident. And honestly, I was like 14, 15 years old. I thought, oh, she's got nine others. <laughs> I mean, like big toe, big deal, right? But literally, to, to this day, she still walks with a limp because of that injury to not nine of her toes, just one, you right. know? And it, it has been a powerful reminder. There's nobody that is dispensable. You know, we are all essential to what God's trying to accomplish in this world. That's, that's another great so, analogy. I so, like that a lot. Yeah, yeah I, I want to, if, I, if, if people hear what I say or they see the way I live, I want them to be inspired to, to not follow me, but follow Jesus and to join in and lock arms together. Let's make this happen, right? And over the course of your 20-plus year uh, ministry career, I'm sure that you have seen at different times there are certain issues that maybe um, are kind of a bigger talking point at certain mm-hmm. issues. I guess right now, here we are in 2019, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I've seen that there's a lot of I guess you'd call them famous Christians mm-hmm. that have publicly either renounced their faith mm-hmm. or um, have publicly doubted God, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. That's one of many issues that I have seen in terms of 2019 era, this kind of era of Christianity. I guess in terms of the church, what are like, as, as a pastor, what do you see are some of the main issues that are affecting the church or Christ, American Christians as a whole that... Um, are kind of on your heart regularly in terms of prayer? You know, I think, first of all, just that authenticity piece. You know, I appreciate people saying they're not convinced of what they maybe once believed. There, In some ways, there's an authenticity there that's um, special. 
but there also is like uh, you know we all have to quit playing games. So if nothing, if like never before, this world needs to see what it means to be an authentic follower of Christ. It's it's now like never before, right? Uh, so uh, how can we authentically live? Not and that's a little bit of why it has to be Sunday through Saturday, not just from nine to noon on Sunday. Right. Like the only thing that's different between if if the only thing that's different between my life and my neighbor's life is that how I spend my Sunday mornings, then that that isn't following Jesus, right? That's mm-hmm. just showing up uh, at a social gathering, right? Mm-hmm. So I think authenticity has to happen. I think second of all, this unity piece is really important. There's so much. You know, Satan's greatest game is to divide, to divide the family, to isolate people from each other. And that's why I think the unity is so important. Not to, like, chuck whatever we believe and just kind of milk toast it down to something we can all kind of, you know, agree to. That's not what I'm saying. But, like, to find reconciliation and, and to find truth and to uh, to unite around truth, right? And I, I believe there is absolute truth. I believe God's word is absolute truth. Mm-hmm. And so that for me could be the dividing line. Like if you don't believe God's word is absolute, tr- absolute truth, it's going to be hard for us to decide on, uh, to unify around things that really matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, we might cheer for the same ball teams. We might like the same pizza. We might think the weather is great or bad together. But like those aren't really things that matter. The right. things that matter are these more, uh, you know, um, certainly more spiritual issues. Uh, so I think we got to figure out how to do that, how to look past our differences and to unite on things that really matter. Mm-hmm. And and that's not just a political, you know, Republican, Democrat, independent. That's not just a social economic. That's not just ethnic. That's not just, you know, um, the, you know, uh, the different uh, denominations or, or, or types of Christianity. I mean, that's all of those things. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think those are probably some of the ones that just kind of keep me up at night. Think about like how can what role do I play in that? How can I model the the what what Christ might ask me to to live out in that? Um, how can I foster that in the people I lead and care for? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, it kind of goes back to let's quit playing church. Let's be the church right. and all the embrace what all that means. And um, you know, I, I think there's this. Some people have called it social gospel. I don't really try to label it that way. It's just like a compassion for others, especially those in need, those who are vulnerable. That is the responsibility of the church. And other, we've abdicated that role for way too long to other groups of people. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that that's what Christ calls us to. He calls us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love others. Um, and so that loving others means... My wife, but it also means the person in need, the person who lives in another country, the person who thinks differently than me. Right. right. Yeah, I was talking in my my previous podcast with Ryan. We were talking um, just about like the political culture of our country and how it's just so divisive and polarized. And everybody, you know, you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I can't talk to you now. You know, I guess um, I don't know how big of an issue that has become in the church, but I think you hit on it a little bit where there's just naturally what has come out of that is this idea that we can't disagree. Mm. And if we disagree, that that means I can't associate with you. And I, I don't know. I mean, is that something like, it may not be something we've run into here, but I mean, in terms of like your pastoral role, uh, I'm sure like you mentioned, like there might be differences between staff members where you got to agree. I mean, how do you approach that as a pastor and just Mm. say, look, you know, you kind of hit on it, but like we are on the same team in terms of we're serving one God, but Mm. Um, you know, in this kind of day and age where it's 
it can get so argumentative so quickly. Mm-hmm. You'd hope it wouldn't happen in church, but mm-hmm. you know, say you know, there's issues that come up where maybe somebody's in a small group and they're like, "Hey, I can't be in this group with this person anymore." How do you mm-hmm. kind of handle that divisiveness as it might arise in a church? Sure. Well, I think uh, a lot of times our approach is to identify what we have that's different from each other as opposed to identifying what we have in common. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a move toward celebrating what we have in common. So one God, like that's, that, that is something that we can all agree on and unite around. Uh, we can unite around God's Word being truth. We can unite around um, the Holy Spirit being uh, an empowering force in our life, mm-hmm. uh, God's presence and dwelling in us. We might have different opinions about some of those topics, you know, but but like at the core belief of what that is, that's what you where unity comes as opposed to saying, well, you, you're wearing a blue shirt, I'm wearing a red shirt, so therefore, you know, we're different. No, we're both wearing a shirt, yeah. you know? Um, or, uh, you know, you might like Mexican food, I might like Italian food, but we both like food. We both need food, right? <laughs> yeah. So at the, at the base level, it was identifying the things that we have in common as opposed to the things that we don't have in common. That moves us toward unity. Because if we start to separate it, ourselves and... And draw lines based on what we have apart. Well, gosh, we'll never find unity, right? Right. But if we start saying, well, what do we have in common? That that moves us toward the center of the table as opposed to move us toward the edge. Right. That, that makes sense. Yeah. And one of the things that's kind of shifting gears here a little bit, but one of the things that I've always been proud of this church for is that we have really, you know, we're probably the, one of the biggest churches in, in the southwestern Indiana area. Sure. And a lot of people in the community look at Crossroads Christian Church as a body of people that they can trust and know will always be willing to serve this community. Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't think that that mission has necessarily changed since you were here last, but, um, you know, in what ways going forward do you envision this church continuing to grow uh, their footprint on this community? And and you mentioned earlier about how you've met with multiple pastors from this area. And I remember when I was in high school, middle school, around that time, we had um, a worship night. It was mm-hmm. around Thanksgiving, okay. and we invited uh, some of the inner city mm-hmm. uh, African American churches mm-hmm. and other like uh, faiths mm-hmm. come here. We had kind of a, a joined mm-hmm. worship night, mm-hmm. and it was I think it was only a one year thing, okay. but I mean our church was filled, mm-hmm. and it was people from all kinds of different churches. Mm-hmm. You know, black people, white people, Hispanic people, mm-hmm. Asian people. I mean, it was like. You know, it was great, and it just to me that was like I, I always remember that, and I'm like that was right around Thanksgiving, which was a perfect timing, yeah. and it was like just a great night of community, uh, just a great night of community, I guess is how you put it. I mean, how do you, pl- I guess, what is your plan going forward for this church in terms of joining with this community mm. uh, to become one body that mm. serves God? Yeah. You know, I think uh, one of the things I appreciated about Crossroads when I was here before is that that was true of us collectively. It felt like we we uh, did we did kind of have a uh, conscience in this community, or we did kind of have a, a light that we were uh, just trying to burn for Christ, right? Uh, I think if anything, uh, I want to see is that become uh, an, an indi- as equally true individually as it is collectively. I think sometimes it's easy just to be uh, kind of proud of or associated with Crossroads and kind of ride the coattails of that. And yet, uh, sometimes the proof is in the pudding, how we live uh, just as individuals and as individual Christ followers. And I think it should be both, right? So uh, the individual side of that is like if... Uh, 
if I'm not caring for my neighbors, but Crossroads does a good job caring for its neighbors, that's a disconnect that I think is unhealthy, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I used an analogy earlier this summer, one of the sermons about lightning bugs. Like I used to love collect lightning bugs so, uh, when I was a kid, and you know I'd get a bunch of them, put them in a jar, put the lid on it, and punch a bunch of holes in the top, and then in the morning they'd all be dead, right? Because mm-hmm. lightning bugs aren't designed to like glow in a jar; they're they're designed to light up a, a sky or a backyard or whatever, and so. If I had a, if I got to you know look down on, on Evansville and this community from you know sixty thirty thousand foot level or just from a bird's eye view, I would hope that you know there would be this kind of glow around uh, you know Epworth and and sixty nine where our campus sits. But I also hope that there would be these little flickers of light all scattered mm-hmm. throughout this community of, of people who make up this church. I would also echo that for the church as a whole, uh, that every church that represents Christ is glowing. Mm-hmm. And every person that's a Christ follower in this community is glowing. And uh, I really think that's when the world might recognize that it's not just what happens in that building, but it's what's happening in that person's life. Right. And I, I think that that's what... That's what the world needs to see. It's not just something we do collectively, not just something we do collectively. It's something I also believe as, a, as, a, as an individual Christ follower. When you have different churches in town that all have different objectives mm-hmm. um, and you're wanting to get, you, you know, the goal is to get them to all work together, what is the key to mm-hmm. that being successful? Because one church, they might want to implement something one way, mm-hmm. um, Crossroads might want to do it another way. Y'all might have the same goal or a similar goal, but you know when you've got a lot of different people that are in their own leadership roles, they've got you know say you're just talking to different pastors and you, whatever it is you're trying to implement, you know and this would be a good conversation with Ross Chapman to have too. Just what is the key for churches to work together to accomplish the goal of hey let's reach this community together for Christ. What's yeah. the, what's the key to that? Mm. If there is a, I guess that's too, kind of a difficult question, sure, but yeah. I mean, what is, what's kind of the, the game plan for having sure. that be successful? I'll just say from my own perspective, a, a thought I have is that it's that one body, different parts, you know, um, the fact that one body, my, my body all works together as one unit, but my finger has a different function than my ear. Right. And so I, I just know here collectively in the Evansville area, we have Churches that have various functions, but the co- a common mission. You know, we're part of one body, but we might carry out that mission uh, in unique contributions. Mm-hmm. So uh, there might be one church that that serves uh, the homeless. There might be another church who really um, helps people grow in their the gift of arts. It might be one people, one group of people who reach uh, a group of people who are um, you know from this part of the community, while one reaches another part of the community. But we all need each other. We're none of us are indispensable, and we we need to work together. Not so much lock arms and all paint the same fence. That's not what I'm saying when I mean work together. Mm-hmm. But like work together for the common mission, and that is that Christ would uh, be you know worshipped, and that that people would come to know Him, and that we might the the ways about that might look differently, but it's toward the same goal, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, uh, I, I tell all my friends who are who cheer for other teams that I, I cheer for, like, we don't have to be twins to be brothers, you know? Yeah. So 
I, you can love your team, I can love my team, but what unites us together is the family of God. So, right. you know, you might like traditional worship, I might like contemporary. You you might be actively in serving the uh, the homeless, I might be actively serving uh, the special needs community. You might be actively, um, you know, sharing with uh, one of your with one of your neighbors in the neighborhood you live, and I'm doing the same in the neighborhood that I live, and so. Those those have very unique manifestations, but the same heart, right? Right, and so to recognize that we're part of one body is a big step for mm-hmm. us to unite together, and then for us to celebrate the unique contributions that we have. Uh, I reached out to a pastor friend today. We, I've never met him. We just began a conversation. We're going to grab some coffee here soon, and uh, he just was appreciative of the fact that historically. The churches that we both serve have have been able to collaborate on things where they bring their contribution, we bring our contribution, and together, God does something really special. I love that. Yeah. I remember in middle school, we always, uh, our youth group would go to church camp with CFC. And, you know, our youth groups, a lot of times, kids went to school with each other. And it was a really cool, like, I I think back on it now, and I'm like, that was a really cool collaborative thing. And then we also did... um, I forget what it's called, but it's something in the winter where they kind of have the kids for an overnight oh, breakout. Breakout, yeah, yeah that was so much fun. And you have all these kids lockdown. from yeah. different churches, and mm-hmm. you do part of it at CFC, part of it here at Crossroads. You go to bowling alleys, the Y, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And to me, I look back and I'm like, that's such a great example of, mm-hmm. hey, we have this great idea, let's just work together on it. Yeah. And you know, there's probably some communities that are doing it really well, mm-hmm. some that aren't doing it really well, and. Um, you know, I've always been proud of the fact that this this community, especially this church, that has been a focus, mm-hmm. and it's been a focus not only in terms of churches working together, but like we have the event called City Serve, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where a lot of churches come in together to serve the community. Yeah, and I'm like, that's su- such a great idea that, um, that to me, that's the embodiment of what the church should look like. Very much so. Yeah, you know, the old saying is like, you know, we better get used to uh, liking each other because we're going to spend he- spend eternity together, right? And so, I mean, I kind of reverse that meaning like when we work in unity, when we recognize we're all part of the body of Christ, that's bringing heaven to earth. Mm-hmm. That's that's showing people what unity can look like. And I think that's a picture of, of what heaven looks like when we are all worshiping the same God. We are, we're united with him. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're in his presence. And that the unity that, that that kind of draws a picture of, I think it's possible here on earth through God's spirit, working and in, in mm-hmm. drawing us in, and uh, uniting us together. You know, Last talking point here, kind of, um, you, you mentioned you started your preaching career when you were 18, mm-hmm. or pastoring career when you were 18. What, what's, what are some ways that you, I guess I'll put it this way, what have you learned about God from the time that you started your career mm-hmm. to where you're at now at Crossroads? What have you learned in that window about God that maybe you didn't know mm-hmm. whenever you stepped foot? Wow, we should have started with that time. question. That's, like, that's, <laughs> that's an hour's horse right there. I've used this analogy before, but um, I think my relationship with God is like trying to hug a redwood tree. Like you recognize it's really big, but until you try to get your arms wrapped around that thing, you don't realize the enormity of it. Right. And I would say, at, at, you know, at age 18, I, I kind of had a picture of who God was. But 
uh, it was it was in the first ministry uh, time here at Crossroads that I went on a cross-cultural mission trip. I went to another country that didn't speak the same language I did, didn't have the same color of skin, but they were worshiping the same God. And literally, literally this is how small my brain was and maybe still is. That blew my mind to think like, they worship the same God and he understands their language yeah. and he loves them the same way I they, he loves me. That was uh, like a game changer for me. That's only grown uh, since since that point in my life. Um, my trust in God, my my understanding of of my need for grace, you know, has grown. So I was, you know, eighteen to forty five is a lot of opportunity to mess things up, right? And so at, at points along the way, just God is showing me that He loves me no matter what, um, walking me through hard times, you know. Um, you know, there there have been many of those where I didn't really know what the future held, or I didn't know what um, what to do in a situation, or I was hurt and and just needed uh, healing and needed strength. And God has shown up. He's been extremely faithful in all those moments, even moments where I, I didn't know uh, if I or I I just w- w- didn't think He would. You know, uh, He has. He's proven Himself over and over again. Um, you know, being a dad, you know, since 18 yeah. to now, I've become a father. Right. So the way I love my kids has given me just a small, I think a very small glimpse of how God feels about me. Um, and, and so, you know, that that's kind of expanded my, my view of God. Certainly my understanding of His Word. I mean, I knew some simple truths back when I was 18. And, and not that I'm a master at God's Word now, but it just continues to speak to me in ways you know, sometimes I read it, and I've read that verse multiple times, but never really understood it or seen it from that perspective. And I, I also being able to teach a lot. I mean, I dig deep into what God's Word has to say, and, you know, it just it jumps off the page and the context of it, the, how it's all connected from Genesis to Revelation, you know, these themes that run through Scripture. I mean, those are all things about God's Word that have helped draw a much bigger picture of who God is than than I had in eight, at 18 um yeah you know you 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 serve from um from your heart and so uh sometimes it's the things that uh, shape your heart that you serve from so i had never lost a close family member till i lost my brother three years ago that's changed the way i care for people and the way i can care for people um you know we have a child with special needs that's changed the way we look at the world and you know for 18 years now that that's that has been a filter through which we've seen the world um and so those are things that you know um that that shape and mold the way that you live and the way that you care for people and again the way you see god we didn't touch on that but i did i did kind of want to circle back to that you mentioned you have a child with special needs you know you mentioned earlier on that that's you know that's the hand that god dealt you Mm -hmm. you know and I don't have any kids yet, and I've always thought about, you know, like how I hope that if that, if if my kids have special needs, I hope that I don't handle it poorly. You know, like I just as humans, it's kind of like we don't know how we're going to handle certain cards that were dealt. Mm-hmm. What advice do you give to parents that um, you know their kids have special needs or any sort of disability? I mean, that can be a very tough thing for parents. Uh, even Christian parents, mm-hmm. how have you and your wife handled yeah. that? Not yeah. that it's like a major sure. issue, but sure. I mean, it's sure. it's it's challenging, yeah. you yeah. know? 
I'd say the first thing, all three of my kids have taught me a lot, you know? Right. Um, and so each of them have a unique contribution to to um, our family. Um, I think uh, maybe the thing that I've uh, had to embrace with a, a child with special needs is just uh, helping kind of set perspective. Probably the most, I would say one of the most helpful things that somebody told me early on is they described having a child with special needs like going on a trip. You save up all this money to go on a trip, and let's say you're going to go to Italy. That's where you have chosen to go. You've paid your money. You get on the plane. You're so excited to see like all the paintings on all these famous buildings, all that stuff. And so you you know you take off, you land, and when they when you hit the runway landing, they say, "Hey, welcome to Holland." And you're like, "Excuse me, Holland? No, I'm going to Italy." Like, "Nope, you're in Holland." And like, "No, I, I signed up for Italy." And they're like, "Well, welcome to Holland," you know. And so they open the door, and you start to you know get off the plane, and you could spend your trip like resenting the fact that you aren't in Italy. Or you could start to appreciate the things that Holland has. Right? Yeah, wow. The kind of the, the the advice was like, don't miss the beauty of Holland. Think wishing you were in Italy. And there's that's times, true for so much. That, oh, not just in this. But that's true for so many sure, other things yeah. in life. And so if I had resented uh, the past eighteen years that God didn't give me a child that's typical, man, I would have missed a lot of beauty along yeah. the way. Now, please don't don't get me wrong. There have been moments that have been extremely challenging. You know, one of those happened in the middle of the night last night, and yet uh, I've found God to be faithful. Man, it's it's stretched me in more than ways that I really wish I wouldn't have been stretched. You know, it's taught me to have to love and lead and think differently. Yeah, and so I've we've just tried to embrace those, even on days where it's hard. Um, we've also found great comfort in others who share that journey. Uh, and that's helpful in any walk of life. You know, if you talk to other tennis coaches, you're going to find really comfort in like, yeah, my kids do that. It drives me crazy yeah. too, right? Um, that's true if a parent of any kid, I think. Uh, but we always find this really sense of connection with people who share a common journey. So we've received that tremendously from others who have a, a, a child with special needs, and that's been meaningful to us. We've also tried to offer that to others. And I think that's... That's been a beautiful part of, of of that experience for us too. That's great. That's really refreshing because I, I haven't talked to too many parents that have had. Granted, I don't know too many people that you know. Most of my social realm are people around my age, so I don't have too many people in my life that I have you know teenage uh, special needs kids. Mm-hmm. And um, you know there are challenges to it. And you know I guess to to real kind of wrap that up. I mean, how do you as parents handle you know, say he comes home and you'd like to think that people don't pick on him or make him feel worse than he or less than who he is. Mm-hmm. How have you guys handled that? If, if maybe you know, your, your child feels um, inadequate or different, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you guys approach that as Christian parents? Sure. You know, honestly, it's probably impacted us more than it has him. You right. know, I mean, um, uh, with his cognitive ability, some of that is just uh, something he doesn't register which in some ways is a really saving grace for him, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, I know my other two daughters, uh, my two daughters, like they've been called names, made fun of, felt excluded, and it, it destroys them for a period of time, right? right. And so that that's challenging. I think we've observed, you know, people who will point at our son, make fun of him, um, exclude him, him not be, you know, accepted or invited into those uh, typical things that most teenage kids get to do. And that's probably harder for us than it is for him. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of like the blessing and curse of it. But um, 
Yeah, that's kind of where I would put yeah. perspective. Anybody who's, I mean, that would make fun of or, you know, point fingers at somebody with special mm-hmm. needs here in 2019, sure. they're the ones that probably feel inadequate because, mm-hmm. I mean, we're to the point now where it's like, mm-hmm. we're all, we're, we're so far, you'd like to think we're so far past that. And there's people that don't know how to handle mm-hmm. those situations anymore. But, you know, I feel like in 2019, for mm-hmm. the most part as a society, mm-hmm. like when somebody sees somebody get picked on, whether they have special needs or not, it's kind of like, dude, you're the one who's wrong, sure. you know? Right. right. So right. that's come just a long way. Come a long we way. We have come a long yeah. way. It's just, that's, that's really refreshing to, to hear. Cause you know, there might be people that listen to this, that maybe they have special needs kids or a brother or sister. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they don't know how to, they don't know how to handle, uh, people that are picking on them or whatever the case is. So, yeah. um, but Phil, thank you for your just continued guidance of this church. I mean, mm-hmm. as a, you know, this is my home church and even though I'm not here, um, you know, I, I just very thankful that the, the, the direction that the church is going mm-hmm. and, uh, your genuineness, I think it's just, it's going to go a long way here. And I think that you, you have the right mindset here and it's just, it's great to see. And I'm glad we got to have this conversation. So Man, thanks for on. sitting down yeah. and doing this. That's great. It's been fun. And, uh, yeah, good luck on the, the future, uh, opportunities. He is awesome. I'm just so thankful for Phil and his friendship and his leadership. And again, just for him being open and vulnerable, especially on a lot of topics that he didn't really need to be as open on if he didn't want to be. And I just appreciate him sharing so much about his life and his ministry and how he approaches his work and just very thankful for just his temperament and his ability to lead in such a genuine way. And I think he is the perfect fit for my home church. So thank you guys for listening. I really hope you enjoyed hearing from Phil and make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast. Make sure that you tell your friends to subscribe. If you need me at all, I'm Cole Claiborne on pretty much every social media platform. would love to connect with you and hear what you've thought of the podcast so far. Make sure that you check out the episode next week. Jake Triplett is my guest. If you don't know who Jake Triplett is, he's the one that shoots all of Trey Kennedy's funny videos, and he is pretty hilarious himself. So I promise you, you're not going to want to miss that conversation. But in the meantime, enjoy some time with your family during Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next week.